0: Well, we are um, in a series called Soul Sessions. Uh, For 10 weeks, we've been talking about worship. In fact, we're wrapping all that up this weekend. Um, And when we talk about worship, not to make it too complicated, but we've been telling you from the very first week that... Kind of a good way to define worship is worship is just to magnify God. In fact, if I just had to use that one word, I'd use the word magnify. Uh, we put the word glorify on there because biblically the word glorify and magnify mean pretty much the same thing. It's the idea of making something bigger. And what we've discovered from the very first week of this series is that the heart of worship is whenever God becomes bigger um, internally and then externally, it always starts internally. So when we, when God becomes bigger in our heart our, or our mind, when um, when we read something in God's word and our picture of him becomes larger or when we experience him in our life in some way and our view of him gets bigger, we don't obviously make God bigger God is infinitely big it's just that our view of him becomes closer to who he is and whenever that happens whenever God is is magnified in our heart or in our mind that is worship but worship really has two sides it's both internal that's where it always starts And then it's always external as well. That when God is magnified inside of me, then God wants that to flow out of me as well into my world. And so we've been talking in this series about some of the practical ways that we do that as a a congregation. We can do that through singing. We told you that uh, singing a worship song doesn't necessarily make it worship, but it does if your heart connects with those words and and the things that come out of your mouth are a connection to the heart. And God is, is being magnified in your heart. And in your words, we've talked about how preaching can be worship and how listening to the word can be worship and how giving to God can be worship. And we talked about how communion can be worship. And even last week, we just talked about one word, how the simple word amen can be an act of worship as well. Amen. All right. There you go. So today we kind of want to talk about how to take this whole idea of worship. From an activity, which sometimes we can fall into that trap of thinking worship is an activity. And how we can move from thinking of worship as an activity to worship as as your life. Not a part of your life, but worship as your life. And I, I say that because I don't know... About you, but I find sometimes I get in this trap of thinking of worship as an activity, and um, that gets pretty tiresome and difficult after a while. Like maybe this has happened to you you come to church on the weekend and you use your mouth to praise God on, on Sunday morning, and then you leave and you use that same mouth to gossip and and to slander and and to swear and to take the Lord's name in vain and, and I don't know about you but sometimes we find ourselves kind of in, in two worlds. Sometimes we're worshiping God with our voice and sometimes we're not. Or maybe you come to church on the weekend and you use your hands to worship God, but then you go out and you use your hands for other things that that aren't so worshipful. Um, maybe you use your eyes when you come to church on the weekend to gaze at the Word of God and, and to look at words on the screen that reflect the beauty and the glory of God. And then you leave from here and you use your eyes to view things that are, would not qualify as worship at all. Or maybe we do that with our money. Or maybe the way that you use your body in here. And then the things that you do with your body outside of here. Now I mention that because, because when we do that, when we find ourselves in that place where we're only part-time worshipers, that never leads anywhere well. Uh, good, Usually what it leads to is, is feelings of guilt and, and feelings of frustration and oftentimes we get to this place where we feel like we need to come to church to kind of get us back on track, which I would suggest is probably not the purpose of church. We'll get to that at the end, but it can, it can create this cycle for us of guilt and, and, and trying to earn God's favor after a while instead of realizing that our entire life was meant to be something that we offer to God as worship. And the passage we're going to look at today is Romans, just two verses, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Let me read verse one for you. Paul says this. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, and we could say sisters, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And then he says this. And this is your spiritual act of of what? Of worship. This is your spiritual act of worship. Now, Paul begins... uh, chapter 12 with the word therefore. And and if you've been here for a while, you know I like to say this. Whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, you always have to ask yourself, what's the word therefore therefore. Why is it there? Well, he's going to explain that to us. So for the first 11 chapters of of the book of Romans, Paul has been explaining to us some fundamental things about God. He's been explaining that God is the one who created us and and he created us with purposes. That is to live for him and to live with him. But Romans also told us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us have, have wandered from the path that God has for us. And because of that, the Bible says every one of us deserves, the judgment of God. But instead, God has done something else for us. He has provided for us salvation. And Paul's explained that that salvation doesn't come through nationality. It isn't through being a Jew or or being uh, an American. Um, It's not uh, something you get through religion or through ritual or through being good enough. The way that we can come to God is because Jesus died for us. And we can have justification by faith. That is when we place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and what He did for us on the cross. We can be justified. We can be right before God. So it's, he, Paul says God, Jesus took all of our sin and our shame and our guilt. And he bore that himself on the cross and he gave us his righteousness. That is his right standing before God. And then he goes on in in Romans and explains that when we give our life to Christ, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None at all, none ever. Something that's difficult for us at times to understand. Our justification before God isn't based on, on our performance. It's based on what Jesus did, not on what we have done. And now he says we can live in the spirit of God, not by rules and regulations, but we're free to follow God and be led by God in a relationship. And then he says things that that you're probably familiar with. He says, uh, you know, that God has promised to work everything together in our life for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. And he says things like nothing can separate us from the love of God. So he goes on and on for 11 chapters and he says all these, these wonderful, magnificent, awesome things about God. And then in chapter. 12 he kind of turns a corner with the word therefore and he says therefore in light of all of this stuff in light of all of God's mercy in light of all of God's grace and how great that is how do you respond to something that, that, that's that awesome how do you respond to something that, that's that amazing and Paul says here's how you do it you don't do it with an act you don't do it with a ritual you don't do it with a religion you give God your body the ultimate act of worship is not to give him an hour and a half on Sunday morning, but to give him your entire body. He says, offer your bodies to God. In fact, literally, if I understand this correctly in the context of the entire book of Romans, I think what Paul is saying is, literally offer all the parts of your body. So offer your voice to God as worship. Offer your hands to God as worship. There's a way for you to offer your feet to God as worship, there's a way for you to offer your energy and your strength, uh, your intelligence, your emotions to God as worship. What does Paul say? He says it's very simple. Just give God everything, every part of what you are, not part of who you are, but give him your body. And then he says this, as, as a living, as a living what? Sacrifice. Now, that would have been an odd thing to the people back in Paul's day, 2,000 years ago, who read this. Because when they would hear the word sacrifice, they would think of the sacrificial system that had existed back then in Judaism. Now, in Judaism, if you wanted to bring a, an offering to God, a sacrifice to God, which you would do occasionally, you would take the best animal of, of your flock, of your herd that you had, and you would take the life of that animal, and you would bring it to the temple, and they would carve it up, and part of it they would, they would burn up in an offering to God, and then part of it they would, you know, barbecue, And people would eat that to celebrate the goodness of God and how great God is uh, to us. Now, so when they would think of a sacrifice, they would think of an animal and the fact that that would be the end of that animal. But Paul says, this is different. This is, notice not a dead sacrifice, but this is a living sacrifice. So he says, you don't have to die in order to worship God in this way. There's a way that you can worship God through your whole life while you're living and he describes it this way why would we do it because it is our spiritual act not just our physical act not just a ritual act but a spiritual act that is kind of an authentic genuine act of of what worship. of worship yeah so here's our big idea for this weekend as we wrap up everything we've talked about about the last 10 weeks. And that is that true or or authentic or genuine worship, however you, whatever word you want to use there, isn't merely a part of your life. It is your life. It's not something you offer to God occasionally. It's not something you do for an hour and a half on Sunday morning. And then maybe you give God a little devotional time during the week in the morning or the evening. He says, no, 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 that's not what we're talking about. It's giving God every part of you, every ounce of your being, so practically, how do we do that? You know, it's, it's one thing to say, well, just offer yourself, yourself to God and everything that you are. Well, verse one, I believe, gives us kind of the grand picture of, of what that looks like. But verse two, I think, tells us how to do that. So in Romans 12, verse two, notice what he says here. And, and do not be conformed. So we're going to talk about how to give your, your body to God as a sacrifice. First of all, do not be conformed to this world, or we could say our culture or the ways of our world. But notice, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So he's going to give us a negative command and a positive command. The negative command is don't be conformed to the world. And the positive command is instead be transformed. So first he says, don't be conformed to this world. So now what does it mean? to not be conformed to the world. And I know there's a lot of opinions within Christianity about what that means. Some people think it means that we should just study our culture and then do the opposite, right? So just see what the world wears and wear the opposite. Not sure what that would be. Uh, Watch, you know, so what does the world watch on TV? Now, now don't watch that. Um, Whatever the world listens to on the radio, don't listen to that. Whatever the world buys, don't buy that. Whatever the world says... Don't say that. However the world votes, don't vote that way. And it becomes kind of this almost thoughtless reaction to the world. Now, obviously, if we're living for God, if we're offering up our bodies to God, our lives are going to be different, right? Because you don't usually see that in our culture. So it's going to be different. But the strategy that Paul has here is not to focus on the world. Instead, what Paul's telling us, I think, is just stop taking your cues from the world. I think what Paul understood about the culture back then, and I think it's very true of us today, is that the pull of the culture is very difficult for us. It's very difficult for us to ignore what, what, what the world does. Many of us, we we want to be liked by the world. We want to fit in to the world. We want to dress. Like the world, we want to talk. Like the world, we want to watch what the world watches so that we can have relationships with the world. And for some of us, it's because we're so insecure, we want to be liked by the world. And I think what Paul's saying here is, you just need to stop taking your cues from the world. Stop being concerned about being accepted and trying to impress the world because it never takes you anywhere good anyway. I think what he's saying is, stop looking at the world. Start looking somewhere else. Where do we look? He says, well, you, what you need to do is be transformed. And that word transformed in the Greek is uh, what we get the English word metamorphosis from, or the idea of a caterpillar changing into a butterfly. It's to be changed from one thing into another thing. It's in the present tense. So it has this ongoing idea of, of continually growing, of continually changing. I think what Paul would say is, is how have you grown lately as a Christian? I'm not interested in how you grew a year ago. I'm not interested in how, you know, uh, how you grew 10 years ago. How have you grown as a Christian in the last four days? Because what Paul's saying is growing in Christ, being transformed is an ongoing thing. And unfortunately, many Christians, they just kind of reach a certain point of transformation and then they coast. And what Paul's saying here is don't do that. Don't coast. You need to keep moving. But the question becomes, how do we do that? How are we transformed? How how does that happen? He says by the renewing of our mind. How is our mind changed and our mind renewed? Because obviously, what we do with our body would be easy if the way we thought was changed as well. So how is our changing? How is our thinking changed? Uh, now I don't know about you, but uh, when I think about how my thinking has changed, uh, here's how it doesn't usually happen um it doesn't usually happen this way i I wake up in the morning And I think to myself, and this happens sometimes, you know, um, today I want to be a selfless person. Have you ever just woke up in the morning and thought, today I'd like to be a selfless person. Today I'd like to um, be less proud. Today I'd like to um, be more other-centered. Today I'd like to be more patient. You ever think that? Today I'd like to, you know, maybe there's some issue in your life. And today, Lord, and so I'll pray in the morning, Lord, just today make me a more patient person. Today make me a more selfless person. Here's the one thing I found. It, it doesn't usually work that I just think about that and I just say, God, today make me completely patient. And then I'm completely patient the rest of the day. In fact, a lot of times when I pray that prayer, and this may happen to you too, as soon as I get out the door, sometimes even before I get out the door, I've already had kind of a conflict with that, with that issue. Because just wanting to do something, just desiring to do something isn't enough. If it was enough, it's fair to say we'd all be fairly different people here this morning, wouldn't we? If desire alone is what changed our thinking. It's not usually the way it works. The good news is Paul tells us how we get engaged in that. In verse two, notice what he says. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And notice, then you will be able to, two important words here, then you'll be able to test And that second word is so important. He says, test and what? Approve. All right. Test and approve. So if you have your Bibles open, you may notice there's some different translations of this. If you have the New American Standard, it just says prove. It doesn't have two words. It has one word. Then you'll be able to prove what God's will is. Now, there's just actually just one word in the Greek Bible for both of these. Uh, Dakamadzo is the Greek word. And, and the problem with this word is it kind of, it, it has two sides to it. And there's no single English word that kind of wraps up what this word is about. And so in, in the NIV, it gives us two words. It takes us one Greek word and it gives us two words, test and approve. Uh, the, the testing idea there is, it's the idea of testing something to prove its quality. Or testing, putting something to the test to find out what its value is. That's one side of Takamatsu. The other side is that once you do that, you approve of it. Or you embrace it as, as valuable on a personal level. So he says we need to test and approve. What do we test and approve? He says we test and approve God's will. So when Paul talks about God's will... What he's really talking about here is, is all that stuff that intersects between God and us. He's talking about God's plans, God's purposes, God's ways. God's will would include God's word. The principles that we find in God's word for living are part of God's will. The values that we find in the Bible are part of God's will. The truths that we find in the Bible, the promises that we find in the Bible are all part of God's will. And so he kind of wraps all this up and he says, what we really need to do is test and approve God's will in our life. In other words, what he's saying is this is not just about right thinking, which sometimes we forget. What he's talking about here is not just right thinking, although it starts with right thinking, but it also includes right valuing. It's not just right proving. Having a life of worship isn't just life uh, about right proving. It's about right approving or, or valuing. So imagine it this way. Um, I read one writer who put it this way, imagine that you taught an uneducated person to recognize some of the traits of gold without that person knowing how valuable gold is. And then you give that person a job panning for gold with you in a stream and you pay them a dollar an hour while they accurately test gold nuggets, identify that which is true gold and toss thousands of dollars of gold into your bag while you're only paying them a dollar an hour. Because they know how to test gold, but they haven't learned how to approve or to value gold. That's kind of what Paul's talking about here. He's saying, he's, what he's saying spiritually is the goal in the spiritual life isn't to just read enough books or listen to enough lectures or do enough Bible studies or listen to enough sermons to be able to spot what's true. That's very important, but Paul says don't stop there. You need to also learn how to process that in a way so that when you spot God's will or you spot the gold of God's will, that you'll not only see it, but that you'll approve it, that you'll, that you'll value it, that you'll understand how much it's worth in your life. So Paul says being transformed in your mind isn't just about proving or knowing it's true, it's about approving or valuing it or treasuring it or, or embracing it. So a, a renewed mind is not just mere logic. All right. God says, that's not my goal for you as Christians is, is to come to church on the weekend and sit in rows and take notes and learn a few Greek words and learn a few Hebrew words like last week. And, and, and then you all file out and you go home and you put your notes in a little notebook, right? And you laminate it and all that. He's like, no, that's a good start, but that's not what the Christian life is about. Then it's about taking all that stuff you learn and testing it and seeing if it works in the real world. And then when it does, you, you, you approve it. You put it to the test. It's not just logic. It'd be kind of like if you, if you were walking down the street and, and you saw somebody um, holding a, a Starbucks cup, all right? And you kind of began to do this logical thing and you realize that if it's in a Starbucks cup and people line up for it, and they, they're willing to pay way too much for it, and it looks like coffee, but it's a little creamier, and there's whipped cream and sprinkles on top, and people get super wired up after they drink it, that it must be a mocha, all right? So here's what I'd say. That's not, that. a mocha, take it from me, is something that should be experienced, all right? That where you taste it, and you realize that it's good. The purpose of an mocha isn't just to be able to, you know, theoretically, logically figure out what it is. It's something you should experience. And that's kind of what he's talking about here. In Romans 12, 2, he's saying, knowing God's will comes by tasting the goodness of God's will. And this renewal cannot be achieved by mere human logic. In Psalm 119, the, the psalmist says this to God. He says, God, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things, or that I may see beautiful things in your law. He says, I don't just want to know the logical truth of your word, I want to know the beauty of it. I want to understand the wonder of it. That's why in Ephesians, Paul prays, he says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart, not just the eyes of your mind, but the eyes of your heart could be enlightened so that you could know the wonder and the beauty and the greatness of God. In Psalm 34, a great verse, the psalmist says, notice, taste and see that the Lord is good. Not just study and, 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 you know, kind of reason out, but taste and see that the Lord is good. And what Romans teaches us is that a renewed mind doesn't just think correctly. It also values and treasures God's will it's something to them that is beautiful. Now, here's the, 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 the problem for us. And that is that 95%, and I'm just, yeah, I'm making up a number there. But like 95% of the stuff we do every day, we do without any in-depth logical reflection. That's probably true, don't you think? I mean, most of us... We just, when we wake up in the morning, we don't usually wake up in the morning and stop for a minute and just, you know, like, yes, I'm alive. And, and we stop for a minute and think about all the millions and billions of things that had to happen while you were asleep so you could wake up today. Most of us don't, we don't wake up in the morning and just kind of, not, you know, just kind of enter in and logically reflect on that. Or when we sit down to a meal When's the last time you sat down to a meal and you, you, you thought for a minute, wow, I mean, somebody had to grow this stuff, you know, or, uh, or process this stuff. And, you know, it had to get to the store and I had to be able to buy it. and uh, You know, and think about it. when's the last time you just really engaged and reflected in a meal or in a relationship or, or in your marriage and thought about what an incredible gift that that can be from God or, or your kids or your job. Or whatever it is. See, we don't usually do that. But when we test and approve God's will, the the things that God is doing in our life, the good things, uh, the hard things, the difficult things, when we look at God's word and we look at his promises, what it's saying is that when we do that, when we test it and test it and test it, not just study it, but test it, put it to the test in life, and what we'll find is this. That God's will is, notice this, would you read those highlighted words with me? His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Okay, now here's the thing. You are not going to discover that his will is good, and his will is pleasing, and his will is perfect by just studying it. Not going to. You're not going to get there by just listening to your youth pastor tell you that, or your parents tell you that, or your pastor tell you that, or anyone tell you that. It's not how how you own that. You own it when you test it. You can't approve it if you haven't proven it first. And you can't prove it if you don't put it into action. And for many of us, that's why we are so bored with Christianity. And we're so bored with the Bible. And we're so unimpressed with God. Because we take the notes, we listen, but we never put it to the test. We've never taken that cup and and drank from that and tasted how good it is. And how good God is. And so for us, it's just become religion or, or ritual. See, we discover how awesome God is when we, when, when we put him to the test, when we put his word to the test. And when we do that, that's when we start to love God and his will. And we begin to seek God and his will. And we begin to treasure God and his will. And when we do that, it will always change our, our thinking. It will change our heart. And then that will always spill out of us. And when we start to live that way, every single thing in our life can become worship. And what we'll discover is that worship isn't just something we do together, which we do. And it's a great thing. But it's not the only place to worship. We begin to study or discover that there's a way in which we can start every day that can be worship. And there's a way to start a day, by the way, that is definitely not worship. And we usually know the difference between those two. We'll begin to find that there's a way to eat a meal that's actually worship. That there is a way to do your job that can be worship. We'll discover that there's a way to go to school that can be worship. Or a way to go to school that is definitely not worship. There's a way to drive your car through the roundabouts that can be worshiped or you can drive like most people and have it be something else. All right. There's a way to go shopping. I find this hard to believe, but there's a way to go shopping. Apparently that can be worshiped. I'm going to take Paul's word for it. There's a way to handle your money that can be worshiped. There's a way to do yard work that can be worshiped. There's a way to exercise that can be worshiped. There's a way to have a conversation there's a way to, to, to uh, raise your kids. There's a way to relate to your parents. There's a way to relate to your mate. thing to be worship. And there's a way that it's not. And here's what Paul knew. Paul knew that anytime we step out and we follow God's will for our life, as it's been revealed through his word or through his spirit, whenever we do that in any area of our life, God is going to show up. It may be exactly like we thought he would It may not be anything like we thought he would. It may be funner and easier than we thought it would be. It may be more difficult and challenging than we thought it would be. But the more we test God's will, the more we find that God is good. That God is great. That God is all of those things he said, omniscient and omnipotent and immutable and all of that wonderful, wonderful stuff. And the more that you put God to the test, the more you test him, the more he'll be magnified in your life. That's how God is magnified. When you prove and then you begin to fall in love with God and he begins to, you begin to approve of God and his will. And that's when God is magnified. He's magnified in your soul. Whenever you take any part of, of your life and you give it to God and you step out in faith, God shows up. In ways that will amaze you. And God will be magnified in your heart. And when God is magnified in your heart. Then God will be magnified in your world. Because that will spill out of you. Your faith. Praising God. Worshiping God will not be work. It will not be hard. It will be natural for you. It will be authentic for you. In fact maybe one of the greatest verses. In the entire New Testament on worship. Is in Matthew 5.16. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says this, let your light shine. He's talking about when when we have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He says this, let your light shine. Now, without getting into too many details, that idea of let your light shine in the original Greek language there, it has the uh, passive idea. In other words, it's not your light that you're making happen. You're actually reflecting that light. So the picture here is that God who is light, is being reflected in you in such a way. Let your light shine before other people in such a way that they may see your good deeds, literally your good life, and and they will glorify, or we would say magnify, or they will worship your Father in heaven. And that is a life of worship in a nutshell. That God is living in you in such a way that it's it's, it's just shining out of you. It's shining out of your words. I would ask you this question. Do do the things that come out of your mouth sound like worship? Do they sound like the things that glorify God? In in your relationships, is that worship spilling out of you the way that you treat other people? Would you say that it's worship that that really describes the way that you you handle your finances? or, Or the things that you're passionate about? Does that seem worshipful to you or the things you value or the way you do your chores? And what he's saying is this. Here's how you get to that place. You don't get there by what you do on the outside. You get there by starting with the heart, by proving, by testing the will of God so that you may approve the will of God. And that will fill you with light. And the result is it will spill out of you into the world around you. We call the world around us our oikos, right? Our 8 to 15 people that we have loving, influential relationships with. Now think with me for a minute what it would look like. What would your cost? what would your relational world look like if worship just started spilling out of you all the time? What would that look like in your marriage? If, the, if your marriage began to be so filled with the light of worship, what would, that, would that change your relationship with your kids if the things that came out of you were really just worship spilling out of you, what would that do to your neighborhood? What would that do at work? How would that impact your relationships at school? What would happen in this church if we began to do that? So Paul says, if you want to get there, right, here's how to do it. It's easy. Just give God everything. Just give him your entire body as an act of worship. And ask him, to come in and show you where you've conformed to the culture and instead ask him through his power to transform you, to have the ability to test his will so that you may approve his will. And then this is what will happen for us as a church. When we began the series on worship, I think it's easy for us sometimes, and I had a lot of people say, it'll be really cool if after 10 weeks of studying worship, we can, as a church, learn how to take a step forward when we're all together and be a more worshipful church. And I think the conclusion I've come to is this. What will make us a more worshipful church isn't what happens in here. It's what happens out there. See, because if we begin to live outside of these four walls, lives of worship, that's what will happen. It will just naturally happen when we are in this place. In fact, I tried to imagine what would it look like in this place? If we all spent the other six days of the week worshiping God with every part of our body, it would be pretty wild, wouldn't it? It would be awesome. That is Paul's admonition to us today. Test and approve the will of God. Let's pray together.